Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Hey guys, how's everyone today? Good. Hi. It's been an interesting, interesting week. Hey, Michael. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on in Washington, D.C. this week, which is why we thought we would talk about vaccines. Um, <laughs> we're just not going there. You know, we, I remember when we started the podcast, part of the conversation was, what are we going to have to talk about every week? And, and, then, and then it was 2020. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the question is, do we have the expertise to talk about the things we think we should be talking about? Which is another debate. We probably well, that's never stopped me before. No. That's the idea of being a journalist. You have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of different things. Exactly. We're the regular guys. And I can't, I don't know about you guys, but I find that people are always asking me for my opinion or my knowledge on things that I really have no business knowing anything about. So. Indeed. Yeah, it's good for cocktail conversations. But then you also go to the parties where they're like, ooh, don't talk to her. She works for the press. <laughs> you know, whole thing. Anyway, so here we are again. So um, let's say hello to everyone. Um, there's Bill Sutton in his usual corner. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And Brendan O'Reilly. Hi, Brendan. How you doing? Hi, I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I'm the features editor. And Joe Shaw is here with us today. Hello, Joe. Hi, Annette. It's Joe Shaw, executive editor. And I am Annette Hinkle. I am the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also with us today is Michael Wright. And uh, Michael Wright is a, uh, a writer, reporter, extraordinaire. So we brought Michael in to, to talk with us today. So how are you doing, Mike? I'm well, thank you all. The reason we decided that we would talk about vaccines today is that, you know, they're just starting their rollout. And there seems like there's a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. A lot of anxiety. A lot of anxiety. Yeah. And... I guess the other thing is, you know, based on where we are, it's not all it's not all equal too, as far as distribution across the state. And so since Mike is the one who's handling a lot of the reporting on this, we thought we would bring him in to sort of give us the lay of the land. So Mike, what what's the situation now? Are they are the vaccines just being given to like healthcare workers and EMS personnel and teachers? Is that is that the drill right now? Uh, well, technically no. Uh, anybody who's over the age of 65 or an essential worker is eligible, but there are priorities even within the priority groups and healthcare workers are still supposed to get the top priority, uh, even though it's been a month almost now that they've been eligible to get vaccines uh, and had them available to them. Um, a, A lot of healthcare workers haven't gotten them yet. They I think they said originally there's 1.2 million people in that 1A group, and they've only administered 650,000 vaccines statewide as of, uh, I think that was Monday, which, uh, which we know for a fact already includes some people from, from 1B. So there is, there is some slow uh, uh, rollout going on there, but there's a there's seven million people uh, that are eligible to get it now, and a lot of them are scrambling, you know, to to date ourselves. It's like when the Cabbage Patch Kids uh, first arrived, 
you know, yes, your local Kmart should have them, but it doesn't mean that they uh, doesn't mean that they do. And that's the that's the real hitch now is that, you know, we don't have a vaccination site locally because they don't have the vaccine. When doctors uh, probably in the Northwell system first get it, we'll have vaccination sites here. Southampton Hospital just got their second allotment of vaccines, which is for the people who got the healthcare workers that got their first dose in December and early January. They have started scheduling second doses for those people now. Uh, but as far as I'm aware, that is all they are um, administering vaccines to. They have, they have not given any first dose 1B vaccines, and they're not taking appointments for them, even though Governor Cuomo in one of his uh, discussions earlier in the week said, just call your local hospital. That's for, that's for, way, that's for way down the road. <laughs> hey, Mike, my, my big question is, what am I going to get first, a COVID-19 vaccine or a new Xbox? Because <laughs> exactly. it seems like it's a very similar situation. It depends how hard, how hard you try, Joe. Depends on who you trample on the way into the store. There's a lot of people out there who want them. They want to get them to us, but yeah. the, the disruption is somewhere in between those two points. And I think that's probably yeah. true of both, both uh, things. Yeah. And, you know, they've, they've created a bit of a derby situation by, by making, you know, they set up all these appointment sites that people can get on. And, you know, we've heard the stories already. Some people that are savvy and determined are getting appointments, you know, even a week or two weeks out. Uh, as long as they're willing to, you know, travel. Um, I guess we heard somebody's going to the Bronx, and I know somebody that's going to Javits Center in Manhattan. And uh, you know, the the possibility is there, but you know, it's it's like trying to make a, a reservation at Bethpage Black. You got to just call the system and hope that you're the one that gets your foot in the door before you know the millions of other people. You know, you just get a busy signal. So what do we know about the distribution? Is, is it fair or do they do it by population? Is it like you have a more powerful representative in some part of the state so you get the lion's share of the vaccine? I'm just wondering if there's any rhyme or reason to the number of doses that we're getting here versus elsewhere. To hear the governor tell it, it is being allocated regionally according to uh, the percentage of the cohort of priority people that you have in your area. So I know that like with healthcare workers, you know, there's 1.2 million doctors, uh, nurses, EMS workers in New York state. There's say 2000 of them in uh, on the East end. So we would have gotten that representative proportion of the, of the vaccine allocated here. It's supposed to be that way going forward too. Um, but, Yes, of course, you know, unions are a, are a big part of organizing vaccinations. And so they have uh, they have mustered that for their people. And so, you know, they're probably going to get to, you know, the front of some lines where the again, you know, you, if you're willing to travel to get your vaccine someplace else, you know, then the regional allocation uh, may not matter so much. And whether that's uh, equitable or not uh, is not. Uh, you know, hasn't hasn't been uh, hasn't shaken out yet. They're also making an effort to 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 ensure that um, 
know the right word, disenfranchised, disadvantaged groups uh, are are higher on that priority list, or or are just equally represented um, that they're not forgotten. I guess, right? I mean, I've heard that a bit. Yeah. So they say. The problem is nobody's really accessing it here, and that's Mike. That that's we've talked about this round and round for the last few days. Is is that a matter of the infrastructure isn't in place, or is it a matter of just there isn't the supply? I, I, I think that it is merely a matter of supply allocation, exactly. The, you know, the towns uh, spoke with the state two weeks ago and sent them lists of places that could be used as, yeah, you know, those are mostly mass vaccination sites you know, doctor's offices and that sort of thing, those are all part of the, the networks. And so the networks are, are obviously gonna mobilize those um, as, as is uh, possible. But, you know, I mean, it may very well be that there's a place out here with vaccines today. Like I said, the, you know, the hospital just got their second dose, uh, second allotment yesterday and didn't even know about it 12 hours before they got it. So it, it's that kind of a thing. Um, the, the dose, the allocations are just going to be sort of appearing and they'll be available in this place and that. And those uh, people administering them are given their priority lists and it's then it's kind of up to them as to who they actually administer to. And what's going what's, what's to be the difference between public distribution, like state run or, or even county town distribution sites and private practices. I mean, I've gotten at least six texts and emails from different doctor's offices saying, don't call us, we'll call you. But, but I wonder if a lot of people aren't going to have a, a, a better chance with their doctor's offices than they will with these distribution centers, or is it going to be the other way around? Or, you know, I guess it's just going to be luck of the draw, whichever, whoever, you know, you can get to first. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's going to depend on who's got the doses. Uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, your doctor is in the Stony Brook or Northwell uh, networks, and that network gives their doctors a whole bunch of doses, you know, those patients that get the text messages from their doctors are probably going to have uh, you know first dibs, and they're still going to be the priorities, um, but that's going to be a matter of just making an appointment. Whereas you know if they, if a state distribution center pops up in Southampton or Riverhead or someplace like that, then it's you know just going to be a scramble to uh, to get an appointment. And if you can get on the get on the list when you you know when it becomes available, uh, it, I haven't spent a lot of time on them, but it, it seems like. The web portals are getting updated very regularly and that, you know, checking on those all the time is actually going to be kind of, you know, part of the game, as it were, that, you know, you might be able to hop on there and all of a sudden there'll be an appointment available at some vaccination site someplace. And if you want to make that appointment, you can make it and you qualify and you can just go there and get your vaccination. You know, that's, that's okay. one of the things I've noticed as far as the distribution is obviously healthcare workers are typically they work on site at the hospitals where they work uh, and people in nursing homes and assisted living. If you're already in one of these facilities, the vaccines will come to you. They will make appointments for everybody who resides there and everybody on staff and ensure that they get vaccinated, ensure that the three weeks later they get their second dose. But for people of the same age who are phase 1A eligible, they don't have that same matter of convenience. It's the people that have to go to the vaccine 
that are really in trouble here as far as the wait time. If the vaccine's coming to you, it's easy. So you mentioned the unions before. One of the things Governor Cuomo pointed out this week that teachers unions and other types of unions are absolutely prepared to make sure that when they become eligible, they're going to be the ones doing the logistics of making sure that this could happen, that you don't just throw the teachers out there and say, okay, go find the vaccines for yourself. How complicated do we think it's going to be to get that second dose? That's the thing. Like, you know, is it, you have to scramble the same way. Once you've got the first dose, you have to scramble again to get the second dose. And if you don't hit it in that third, uh, three week time frame to get the second dose, is that going to compromise your ability to be immune to the disease? From what I read, they, they said that um, the, the second dose, you, you have to wait the three weeks, but even if it's longer than the three weeks, then that's not going to affect the effectiveness of it. So if you go five weeks, six weeks or whatever, that's okay. You just won't have that full immunity until you get that. Second. However, I also just read something that there is increasing evidence now that one dose is not as effective as, as they had hoped it would be, that there is some evidence out there that uh, getting that single dose isn't really providing enough immunity. Uh, so that may come into play as, as we, you know, President-elect Biden is planning to change the, the national policy and make more vaccines available for the first shot. Uh, the idea was to hold some back so that they were available for a second shot. Uh, there's a whole debate that you can have about which way is more effective, uh, but there is increasing evidence that suggests that just one vaccine is is not enough. It's not going to be effective enough. Right. Yeah, and that and they're and you know a lot like the ambulance companies that we interviewed a couple of weeks ago. They just made all their appointments at one time. One person got everybody's documents filled out made the appointments for everybody all at once and then just told them, you know, go there and get your get your vaccine. There was a story about a, a school district uh, upstate someplace that, you know, the first day of 1B eligibility, they got all their teachers vaccinated because, you know, they have people that are organizing and, you know, like so many things, anytime you you can sort of, uh, you know, narrow it down through representation, that's, that's going to be the most efficient way to get uh, a large body of people in there now of course that's a whole bunch of people that are you know effectively have one person standing online on their behalf and then they all come running in the door when they get to the front of the line i could tell you that i heard from somebody that works in the works in a school but is not a teacher that uh the employees at the district were informed that they were suddenly eligible for the vaccine they were told that they had to get it within a week and to make their own appointments and to make their own appointment, they were given a list of places that they could go. And it was as far west as Nassau County for a Suffolk County school. And then as far east as a place that was referred to as Stony Brook Hospital, Southampton Annex. Now, I don't know if that's supposed to be Stony Brook, Southampton Hospital, or that's supposed to be some other annex building that is within the Stony Brook system. No, it's the it's the annex at, at Stony Brook, Southampton Hospital, the old nursing home. That's where they're administering the vaccines. But why was that open to teachers out west and the people who actually live on the east end aren't lining up to get their vaccines done there? They don't have the doses yet anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so it's interesting. I just opened up an email that I got from... Uh 
Assemblyman Fred Thiel, written to Andrew Cuomo and to County Executive Steve Ballone. And it says, we wish to focus your attention specifically on the east end of Long Island. The five east end towns have seen their populations swell to summertime levels since the advent of the pandemic as residents have fled from urban areas to the safety of the more rural east end. We also note that our region pays 45% of the general fund property taxes to Suffolk County. We have been inundated with complaints from frustrated constituents about vaccine distribution and the lack of east end locations. Um, so he goes on to say the vaccine distribution system on the East End with the new expanded eligibility categories is virtually non-existent. Our residents, particularly senior citizens, cannot be expected to drive an hour or more to places such as Brentwood, Jones Beach, or Stony Brook to get the vaccine. While we have submitted many locations in our communities for consideration for the distribution of the vaccine, those suggestions have been ignored. So, Mike, let's cut to the chase here for people who are who are out there and talking to all of us and asking us questions. So if you're 65 or older and you wanna get a vaccine and you're, it's your turn, you're the, the, they're calling your number right now, what do you do? Even if that means they can't get a vaccine right away, these are the steps that, that they need to take. Yeah, well, you need to go onto the state or the Northwell system and start looking for appointments, uh, you know, availability someplace. Ideally, and eventually, uh, you know, your doctor is going to have them, the CVS is going to have them, and you're going to be able to call there or go there and make an appointment. But that as of now, uh, is not the case. Uh, even the hospital has said, you got to use the state portal um, or hotline. Okay, and then the New York State vaccination hotline is one 833-NYS-4-VAX, V-A-X. And that number is 1-833-697-4829 if you don't speak alphanumerical uh, code. It should be running around the clock by the end of the week. So by the time you hear this podcast, that number will be operating. It's currently operating from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. If you like trying to get on unemployment in March... Well, I think that comparison's been made by some of the people I spoke to, and and it, uh, April or May. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, I think that's a big part of the problem here. Is so much of this is just a logjam, uh, and and I think if you, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll rephrase this, and you tell me if I'm if I'm wrong. It seems to me that what people are saying and what the governor is saying in particular is that we're setting up the infrastructure now. It may not function now because we don't really have vaccines for you to sign up for. But once we have the vaccines, that infrastructure will be in place so we can really quickly get you signed up to get them when we have them. Right. And and your name will be in the system and your phone number. If you make an appointment for May and all of a sudden, you know, 10 million doses of the vaccine show up, your appointment is going to get moved. They're going to, you're, you're going to be in the, in the queue of people that have, you know, shown the desire to get shots and they're going to contact you, which is, you know, that's, that's why they're setting this up. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
So the best advice you can go on the website and say, am I eligible? And that will tell you where and when. And register and register. Because I, I think that when you do that, you get your name into the, the database so that when you are eligible, they have a way to contact you. But I also have to mention, Bill, Bill said something earlier. Um, I've also gotten a contact directly from my doctor. And I just happened to have a recent doctor's visit for another purpose. And we had a conversation about vaccines and essentially what, what he said, and, and this is the uh, Meeting House Lane Medical Practice, which is a fairly big practice. Um, I was told they're gonna, they're expecting to get the vaccine sometime in the next couple of months. And I'll leave it at that because um, I don't think they knew and, and it was very clear that they didn't know. But once they get it, they're going to start reaching out to patients directly to set them up to get vaccines in the, uh, the office as well. So there are, there are preparations being made, I think, to get the vaccine out to people here quickly. What's frustrating and a legitimate source of frustration is when you hear that people can get uh, appointments to get vaccines in the city right now. Well, gee, why is the city able to do that and we can't? Well, I don't think we have the density of population and I don't think we're as high up the priority list as a result of that. Uh, I think that the local officials, uh, Annette, you were just talking about the information we just got about the letter that was sent from the uh, state, uh, state, county, local officials complaining about that. I think that's a legitimate point, but I do think we have to remember at the same time, it's only a few weeks into when we're really getting the vaccination distribution uh, proper. But I have to say 10 months into this, uh, it, it's alarming to me that, that, uh, that it's a little bit, that it's as chaotic as it is. I would hope that I don't need to know when I'm going to get my vaccine specifically, but I still have no real clear idea how it's going to happen. I think that's what upsets people is I don't, I don't need when I just need to be, to know how Mike, I think you've sort of cleared that up a little bit. And I think we've tried to take steps to say that, that you need to get yourself lined up and, and get, get your name in the database and things like that. And it'll eventually happen. So. Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of a matter of, you know, they're inventing the car even as they're already driving down the highway kind of thing. Do we think that a change of administration in Washington is going to help things? I wonder, what do we know about President-elect Biden's plans and what might start happening that hasn't been happening? Well, the one thing that he talked about was the, the that's a major change in policy if they aren't going to hold back doses anymore. Uh, to offer second doses to people who've gotten the first dose, that's going to mean a lot more of the vaccine being available for a first dose. Uh, but there are repercussions for that decision too. I think so far, as of right now, that's the only specific change in policy I've heard. But one of the things I've heard and, and read many times, um, and if you haven't read it yet, Lawrence Wright has an amazing piece in The New Yorker about how this whole, it's called the plague year or something along, something along those lines um, about the faults and the breakdowns and the things that went wrong. And one of the things that, that I think has been a recurring theme is the lack of direction from the federal level about how to get all this done. It really has been up to each of the states and that's created a lot of confusion, I think. So um, will that change with the new administration? we'll see. Maybe the new administration will take more of a proactive role in trying to organize this at a national level. Uh, but 
so much of it is left up to the states. I mean, it seems like an ideal job for like the National Guard, you know, or some other, you know, kind of a militarized kind of effort. I just, you know, think about in the spring with the pandemic, the way that they were setting up, you know, tents and bringing in the army, the field hospital and all that. It just seems like, you know, moving stuff quickly, even if it's vaccine and getting it to people rather than just dumping it on the doorsteps of the states and like, here you go, figure it out. I think President Trump actually has a plan. Uh, part of the plan that's in place now involves using the military to, to distribute it at some point, but I don't know where that stands. So I remember having to go downtown and get my polio vaccine when I was like a, like seven years old. Like every kid from the city had to go to the YWCA and stand in line and they give you this little drink thing. And, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was a big deal, you know? It wasn't go to your local doctor. It was show up at a centralized location and do this. At that time, were they really only giving the polio vaccine to children? Was it too late uh, to give it to adults at that point? No, I was, I mean, I was, I was, uh, I'm a little bit younger than that. You know, like the vaccine had been invented, you know, a number of years before I came along. So um, I think, I think at that point, the older people had probably already gotten it as a matter of course, this was maybe just like everybody who was seven years old had to get the polio or whatever age we were. I mean, cause it had been around. I don't know why they would wait until I was seven or whatever. A couple thoughts about using the military in the National Guard that I have is one, it's not like FEMA where there's a hurricane and the National Guard could rush to one state, right? Or the Red Cross can rush to one state. It's every county in all 50 states. And boy, is that hard. Also, the manufacturing will only get you so far. So you could have National Guard troops out there just like we have you know, empty gymnasiums where we could be delivering vaccines and we even have the staff to do it, but there's just not enough vaccine yet to do it. So I don't know if Moderna and Pfizer can really up their production from where it is now. That might be uh, an insurmountable task. But the other good news on the horizon is that Johnson & Johnson has developed a COVID-19 vaccine candidate uh, that they appear to have studied on people between the ages of 18 and 55. And it looks like it is a one-shot vaccine. So that makes it much more easier logistically uh, and you'll never have to hold back any of the distribution to make sure that the second dose is available to people. All of what Cuomo has said is that, you know, he's never mentioned uh, more supply from Moderna and uh, Pfizer, but he's mentioned Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca um, as being the best hope for, for the supply increasing substantially. And I think, isn't there a trial that Stony Brook doing a trial on another vaccine? I'd be curious if anybody locally is doing, is taking part in that um, trial. I guess the hard thing about taking part in a, a real trial is that you don't know if you're getting the real vaccine or not. It's true. That's part of the deal. And it's, you know, there's another thing that, that we need to say at some point, And that is that if and when people do get the vaccine, it's really, really critical that everybody understands that they still need to, to, to mask they need to use the social distancing, that it doesn't change anything about the fact that you can still be a carrier, a vector for this disease for other people. Our, our social distancing policies are not going to change in the next six months, uh, maybe not the next nine months to a year. It's, it's going to take a long time, even if a, a, a vaccine rollout is very successful, we can't drop our guard. It's going to, it's going to be, I mean, this is, this is really a bad situation. And, and, you know, in the background of everything else that's happened in the last few weeks, we've seen death rates rocket to a point where we're losing 
the number of people who died on 9-11 we're losing on a daily basis now it's 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 a it's a pretty remarkable thing that we're seeing we're seeing some signs that it may be starting to uh slow down a little bit correct we did see a cooling off after the expected Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve sur- surge, but the cooling off has lasted for like a couple of days. We haven't seen like a couple of weeks of cooling off. We have no idea if we are on the side of the mountain going up or if we're on the side of the mountain going down. It's really unclear where we are right now. Well, I guess it's a good time now to talk about, so maybe we could work testing into this because I know that there's some confusion about where people should go to get tested because you have you know, a lot of kids home from college now who need to get tested regularly or they're headed back to college in the next couple of weeks. And um, just a lot of people who maybe stayed out here after the holidays. So what do we know about as far as testing and, and how one should go about um, securing a, a COVID test if they feel that they're in need? I just had the the experience last week of, of getting tested. There had, had been a uh, close contact situation. Thank, thank God I tested negative and it was a, you know, a rapid test and, and, you know, it was negative. Um, but you, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny, funny, strange, not funny. haha. You, you see all this testing stuff in the media and you think it's, it's, you know, you understand that there's going to be some, some issues with it, but actually going through it and, and getting tested is just, um, it was a it was a surreal experience. It certainly wasn't what I expected. I had a good experience, although it was strange. I went to a place in Riverhead where you don't need an appointment or a prescription or anything like that. And they say it's first come, first serve and all that. But the place opened at eight. I got there a little after eight, a couple minutes after eight. There was a long line, but apparently there had been a longer line even before the place opened. And by the time... I got there. One couple came in and got in line behind me, and then, um, and then they they came out and said that that couple would be the last people getting tested that day. That you know that they were doing a count that they could only do so many tests in a day. And this is at eight fifteen in the morning. Um, I waited in line for an hour, hour and a half um, to get into the building. At which point they just took my cell phone number. Um, and a copy of my ID. And they said, they said they would text me when it was my turn to come back to be tested. Wow. And that wasn't until six o'clock that night. And once I went in, it was, you know, it was a check-in process, wait a few minutes. And then the test went very smoothly and very, very easily and, you know, and, and, and all that. And it was, it was great. And I had results within 20 minutes, but I just didn't expect that that rigmarole and and you see you know you see these pictures of people waiting in line and you know and drive ups and and all that but i i just i thought it would be a little easier than that and you know and somebody had said it might have been it might have been joe that you would think after nine months that the process would just be a little bit easier that you know and i think the the, you know the the joke was you should be able to go into 7-eleven or mcdonald's at this point and just get tested i mean the fact all of those tests slots were gone by 8 15 it's just disturbing uh, they knew how many people they could test that day so they had i don't think it was a matter of only having a certain number of test kits or whatever i think it was they knew that they could only they could only test 150 people between 8 a.m and 6 p.m so that's where they cut that line off otherwise people would be lined up for blocks and and they'd be open you know 24 7. But where did those people go who need that test and still don't know <laughs> you know what i mean to me, the, the vaccine issues are 
they're defensible. I mean, this, this, that's hard. I mean, and, and it's, you know, you're developing vaccines and trying to roll them out. And there's a lot of challenges to that. The testing breakdown is indefensible in my book. I think after 10 months, the fact that it's still this difficult to get a test for COVID-19 is just indefensible. And, and, and we need somebody to, to lead a charge to, to figure out what went wrong here and try and fix that for the next pandemic because there will be another one. And, and one of the things we've learned quickly, I think, is that having the ability to get tested goes a long way towards being able to function in the middle of a pandemic and, and not having tests available readily at this point, I think is, is baffling to me, it really is. So what advice do we have for people on the East End who do need tests, especially the South Fork? You know, who should they call if they, if they need to get a test? Yeah, I mean, listen, you can Google where to get a test and it'll come up. The Suffolk County uh, Health Department website has a list of all the places. There's, you know, there's a number of places that you can get them. Um, they're not all every day. Uh, you know, now there's the East Hampton Town one that's every day. They're doing it at East Hampton High School a couple of days a week. And most of them are appointment related. So, you know, as, as some of our employees experience, getting one when you hear about it at 9 a.m. on Tuesday and you want to run out and get a test right away, that is not always possible. Um, but it's also not really necessary. You're supposed to just quarantine until you can get a test. And, and that's kind of the way that most people are dealing with it. There's a few no appointment places. Um, I was at East Hampton Town Hall today and there were only a handful of cars waiting and it looked like you probably could have just pulled up and gotten a, gotten a, a test uh, fairly quickly. Um, every Saturday morning, it seems in Southampton Village, they're doing drive up no appointment tests that are very busy early, but by 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, it's uh, pretty smooth. And so, you know, there's, there are opportunities for that, but yeah, it, it takes a, a little bit of planning and, you know, except for being in some very uh, strange close quarters situation, you know, waiting a 24 hour to 48 hours to get a test shouldn't really be a, um, an insurmountable hurdle. You know, you just got to stay away from other people until you know for sure. Mike is looking into this in a little more depth too for this week, and we hope to be able to provide uh, some real specific guidance next week with a list of potential sites, things like that. So stay tuned. Yes, and next week we'll have a new president, one way or the other. That's true. See how that every Wednesday, every Wednesday lately, all hell breaks loose. Have you noticed that? It's it's always on Wednesdays. The inauguration's Wednesday this week. I mean, it feels like 2021. It's just going to be about Wednesday being the big day every week, which is our deadline day. Yeah, can we push our deadlines off a day maybe? We'll start, start putting paper together on Thursday instead of Wednesday. It would certainly make life easier. But then we'll have like six hours to write about the disasters at the Capitol instead of a whole week. Uh, do you want to know about the Stony Brook medicine vaccine trial? Yeah. Uh, so the National Institutes of Health 
COVID-19 Prevention Network is leading or sponsoring the Novavax clinical trial. And nationally, they're going to recruit 30,000 participants at approximately 110 sites. The trial arm at Stony Brook Medicine is going to involve an estimated 500 participants. And if you do participate in the vaccine trial, uh, you could actually earn some money for doing it, for your inconvenience, for taking the risk. Uh, it's a risk both that the vaccine might not be uh, what it was chalked up to be as far as side effects go. Uh, and it's also a risk that you get the placebo and you don't realize that uh, you're not vaccinated because there's really a, maybe a 50-50 shot that you have the um, the placebo instead of the vaccine. And you could make up to $1,700 for taking that risk and, and uh, giving them the information on your symptoms as the weeks pass. And at what point are you allowed to take the real vaccine if you're part of a study? Sometimes they don't want you to get the vaccine because you're their, you're their control group. Yeah, you would have to commit to not getting another vaccine while you are taking the vaccine trial. Because if you went out and got it, you might be getting two vaccines or you might be getting a vaccine when they assume you're on a placebo. Right. And it might be up to two years if they want to study that group, right? You just gave me a lot of reasons not to join the study. Two years. <laughs> $1,700. Come on, Brandon. <laughs> that ain't chump change. A lot of those studies are like that, though. They follow their participants for that long. That's how they find out what side effects are long term. I wonder if they tell you at the end of the trial whether you got the placebo or not. That's what I was wondering. I think a lot of those people who got the early vaccine are still not, uh, they're not released from the study yet to go, even if they got the placebo. Right. And Mike, you also have to consider that they're trying to learn the efficacy over time of the vaccine. So we're vaccinating, or, or excuse me, we're vaccinating everybody now to get through this pandemic. We might find out two years from now that the vaccine only lasts, no. you know, 18 months of protection. Uh, I would hope not. <laughs> the flu vaccine where, you know, that's basically the remnants of the 1918 flu. And we're getting shots for that every year. Well, that's an interesting thing about the, the flu vaccine where you have to get vaccinated every year because the virus that is circulating changes every year. With the COVID vaccine, we could run into the fact that the virus is mutating and that's why you need to get vaccinated every year. Or it could just be that this vaccine doesn't offer long-term protection the way that you only need one chicken pox vaccine. That was what some of the Stony Brook doctors said in the, one of the original things that they may you would you might find out that it's only a year, which apparently isn't uncommon. Well, there we go. All right, another reason to not not see anybody yeah. in person for right. a while more. So. Oh, good. Luckily, we can hear each other's lovely voices. I look forward to the day whenever I can interact in some way other than Zoom. But I think I'm going to have to transition. I may have to walk around with a phone in front of me and talk to people on camera or something for at least a month or so as a transitional phase. I, I don't know that I could talk to somebody in real life face to face. So if you're going to do that, then you might as well be posting on TikTok. Do that, if this, that could be your transition. It's the TikTok transition. Start with pants that have a button and a zipper. That'll be like the first step. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, you know, things are looking up. It was fun. Let's do it again next week, shall we? I'm sure we'll have something else major that will come our way. Well, attacks on 50 state capitals are planned on Saturday. So maybe we can do an emergency podcast Saturday afternoon after Albany gets attacked. Yeah, then there's that. Stay safe, everyone. All right, you too.
27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.